Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of spiritual warfare. Today's program is a continuation of the previous one where I was talking about the law. And believe it or not, the subject of the law, law and grace, is very critical to the issues related to spiritual warfare because, for the most part, the nature of the war is an issue related to law and grace. Because we are at war with a being, with a spiritual being, who uses the law. The devil and his demons, they use the law for the purpose of separating us from our God. The law separates us from our God in the sense that we can be condemned We can be condemned by the law, legitimately so. We sin, we violate the law, we are to be condemned. We are to be declared unrighteous. We certainly are in a position where our God can pass judgment on us. It is necessary, therefore, in order to overcome that, in order to get past that, it is necessary to understand the forgiveness of God, to understand the new covenant, to understand what he accomplished on the cross. Unfortunately, it can be very difficult sometimes to find someone who understands the forgiveness that we have and apply it appropriately in our lives. It can be very difficult to find someone who understands that. There are many people who have an understanding of forgiveness, but for the most part, the way that forgiveness works is forgiveness is there in order to compensate for where we fall short or for when we fall short. Well, I personally don't think that that's what forgiveness is about at all, but a lot of people do. And the side effect of that is, unfortunately, the fact that there will always be sin that will condemn us. And so while we might believe that the grace and forgiveness of God is there for us when we fall short, well, we fall short continually. And so this will be a constant reminder that the Lord does hold something against us or could hold something against us. It is a continual reminder, moment by moment, day by day, that the sin issue is still alive and that we must learn to obey better. We must repent. We must follow the law. You end up going back to the law. And when a person begins to live a life under the law, then it stirs up more sin and there will be a downward spiral that will create a tremendous amount of conflict between us and our God. The devil is in this and that is why it is an important aspect of the nature of the war that we are in. It's important to understand this aspect of the war we are in in order to break free of it. Now, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to get into the subject of forgiveness in this program. I don't have time for it, but I did produce a series on the subject of forgiveness. And I believe that you definitely have to listen to that series and study that series in order to have the proper foundation in order to get through this series on spiritual warfare. And so if you have not spent a lot of time in the series on forgiveness before listening to this series on spiritual warfare, please go back and listen to that series on forgiveness and come back and listen to this series on spiritual warfare again, and you'll be able to gain, I believe, the real benefit 
that you can obtain in that way. Now, when it comes to interacting with people, sometimes it can be difficult to find a person who is willing to listen to you. Perhaps you've noticed this. I've noticed this quite often. It can be very difficult to find someone who's willing to listen to me. But if you have discovered this for yourself, then perhaps you'll know what I mean when I say that if a person is not really willing to listen to you, it's possible that they might be willing to listen to themselves. And if that's the case, then in order to get them to listen to themselves, you can contribute to this event by asking them questions. Now, what I mean by questions is not loaded questions. Loaded questions are often presented to people saying, I have a question for you, and this question has one specific answer that I'm looking for, and if you don't answer this question in the way that I expect you to answer it, then you are not an acceptable person in my eyes. This is called a loaded question. Don't ask those kinds of questions. Ask sincere, open questions that allow people to answer them freely in a way that they believe is acceptable, in a way that they believe really answers the question. Allow for honest communication. Don't try to manipulate people with questions. Ask honest questions. One of the questions that I enjoy asking people who are in leadership positions in the Christian world, in Christian churches and the such, I like to ask, how would you suggest that we approach the discipleship of a new believer? I mean, if a person first comes to Christ and they want to be discipled, we want to work with them, we want to help them to grow in their faith, how would you suggest, what would you think of as an approach to try and help them grow in their faith, to be discipled, and to begin their experience of being a Christian, begin their experience of being a child of God? How should we perhaps approach that? I ask this question quite often of people in Christian leadership, and the most common answer that I get sounds like this. Well, we should teach them holiness. That's what we should teach them. In order to be properly discipled as a new Christian, you need to be discipled in holiness. This is the traditional answer that I get, and of course it's described in various ways, but that's the simple explanation with regards to how people describe the discipleship that they believe a person should go through. But what does that really mean, to say that a person should be discipled in holiness? Well, I'll tell you, it's not complicated. It means that they are to be taught, what? How to be good, how not to be evil. What are the rules? What are the laws? If you do that which is good and you do not do that which is evil, then you will be holy, or at least you will be on your way to becoming holy. And if you fail in any of these things, or if there's any sin in your life at all, well, then you need specific discipleship, some specific counseling, maybe some extra help here or there, in order to get you to stop sinning so that you can be holy. For many people, this is what it means to be a Christian. Well, how is that going to turn out? If a person decides that they are going to live a life of trying to be holy, are they going to succeed? Well, of course not. Should we just say, well, you just get as close to being as holy as you can? That's what a lot of people do. They say, well, you'll never be able to completely achieve it, and so we just try to get close. What do you mean you get close? Do you really think that God is going to honor close? He's going to honor your best efforts? Is that what you're going to do? Are you going to go before God 
And he's going to ask you, so how did you live your life as a Christian? And you're going to say, well, it was holiness. It was all about holiness. And and so I did my best to be holy. I followed the law as best I could. And I, I tithed and I, I did all the things that those holy people told me to do. And so that's what my Christian life was about. And then, of course, God can reply with something like, well, you certainly didn't impress me. Do you understand what I mean? What I mean by this, if you don't understand that, I mean that you are trying to live a life that you cannot and you will not. So you're set up for failure right from the start. What are you going to do with that? I mean, what are you really going to do? Well, what most people do is they just find someone else to compare themselves with. As long as you can find someone who's perhaps in your life, who might be close to you, who is not as holy as you are, well, then I guess you're doing okay. That's what most people do. This is not the way to go, folks. It really isn't. And I believe that you have lost in this warfare, you have lost in this war, if that's the approach that you take. Now, we have been set free from the law to live in a newness of life, to live in another way of life. Because that way of life will always result in failure. It's supposed to result in failure. There is another life according to the Spirit, not according to the law. You cannot have a life of holiness without a life under the law. It just simply is not going to be real. You're then living in some kind of obscure fantasy of some kind. You know, the only way that we can be holy, the only way that you will ever be holy, is if God simply declares that you are holy. And if you understand what it takes in order to be holy, then you can rest in that. It requires his declaration. And what is his declaration? His declaration is, I forgive you. I forgive you, and I do not hold your sins against you anymore. I will resurrect you from the dead through the indwelling presence of my spirit, the life that I have within me. You will be born again. You will then be a child of the living God. You will be a new creation in Christ Jesus. And on that basis, you are holy. You are holy because your sins are not held against you anymore. You are holy because you have been made into a new creation. You are holy because of what he did for you, not because of what you do for him. That is where holiness is finally achieved. And once that holiness is achieved, you then have a new life that you can begin to walk in. And that's as far as I can go with regards to this new life in this program. There are many passages in the scriptures that lead you up to this point. For example, Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Again, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What does that mean? That means that if you are under the law, you are not being led by the Spirit. So if you are going to live a life of holiness, you're going to be led by the law, or you're going to be under the law. Therefore, by default, you're going to begin your Christian life definitely not being led by the Spirit. All right? So how long is it going to take before you are going to be led by the Spirit? Well, as long as it takes for you to finally figure out that you're not under the law, whatever that's going to take. And that might never happen. For a lot of people, it never happens. So it's a very serious matter to distinguish between being under the law and being led by the Spirit. That's Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. I did a verse-by-verse study on the book of Galatians. 
Please take the time to listen to those programs. I talk about this verse, and of course all of them, in depth. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 to 25, beginning in verse 21, it says, Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, again, if there had been a law given, which could have given life, with reference to the gospel, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. In other words, we are no longer under the law, which was our tutor. There are many verses in the scriptures that relate to this. If the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you, and he is guiding you, and he is leading you, he's not going to be leading you on the basis of the law. He will lead you in a different way, not in a way that encourages you or leads you into sin. There is another way. It doesn't have to be either sin or the law. There's a third way of life, which is based on resting and trusting and living with your God, participating in the work that he is doing in this world. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. But when it comes to the children of God, the Holy Spirit relates to us in a different way. Consider John chapter 16, John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Compare this with Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 to 25, and I think you'll see what I'm talking about. That's comparing John chapter 16, verse 8 through 11, and Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 to 25. And you'll see that there are some distinct differences between living under the Old Covenant or how the Lord relates to those who are lost, those who are of the world, compared with how he relates to those of us who are no longer in the world, who have been resurrected by the Spirit and are now children of God according to the new creation in Christ Jesus. So this is as far as I'm going to go with regards to the subject of law, the subject of law and grace in this series of programs. For the rest of this series, instead, I'm going to address some of the specific issues related to the subject of spiritual warfare when this topic generally comes up, some of the specific issues. To begin with, I'm going to talk about the armor of God. The armor of God. Whenever people talk about the subject of spiritual warfare, they normally go right to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, where the Apostle Paul talked about the armor of God, where he said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this and with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He speaks of a number of things that are related to a suit of armor, to include the sword. Now, many people have talked about these verses. There is a lot of material available to read, to listen to, to study that people have produced on this subject of the armor of God. And so I do not intend, I don't want to try to duplicate what someone else has done. I'm going to be very open and honest with you to say that the Lord generally does not give me a lot of insights when it comes to symbolic representations. That just isn't the way that he works with me. And yet I do believe that there is a lot of validity and there is great importance to understanding symbolic representations and that I believe the Lord has put in a lot of symbolic representations into the scriptures. I do believe that. But I have found over the years that in general, the Lord does not relate to me on the basis of these symbolic representations. It just is not a part of the relationship that I personally have with him. Outside of a few things that I believe that he does relate to me that I just hesitate to talk about only because I don't want to be wrong, you know. And so I I don't like to talk about things unless I have a reasonable amount of confidence in these things, especially when it comes to symbology, because I personally believe that what is more important is the reality that is described by the symbology, that that would take precedence. And so whenever I produce formal teachings like I'm doing right now, I would like to just stick with those realities as much as I can and not try to say that this means this or this represents this or this is something that we can understand in order to be more inspired in this other direction. He uses a lot of people that way. I simply am not one of those people, and I don't want to try to do something that the Lord has not really equipped me to do. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about this from a different point of view, from the point of view of the law, as I described earlier in this program. When you look at these specific items, such as the belt of truth or to gird your waist with the truth, the truth is a very serious matter. I mean, you could simply summarize it and say that if you don't have the truth, you might have a difficult time keeping your pants where they're supposed to be. That, to me, is a very practical description of what we have here. I don't have to get all symbolic about it. I can just simply say that if you don't have the truth, it's unlikely that much of anything is going to be held together well. And so if you do not have confidence that what you understand and what you believe is true, 
You need to deal with that. To deal with that is not difficult. You start with the question, what is the gospel? You must understand that question. When he talks about your feet being shod with the gospel of peace, you've got to know the gospel. You must understand how the gospel leads to peace, how the gospel will promote peace, how it will create peace. That is the God who is described by the gospel. He is the one who does these things. When you consider the helmet of salvation, well, the helmet of salvation, salvation is defined by the gospel. Are you saved? Are you not saved? What is salvation? If you do not know what salvation is, if you do not have a clear understanding of what the gospel is, then how are you going to keep your head together? How are you going to keep your feet protected when you walk in this life? I can certainly say a lot about armor, and I can say a lot about what it means to fight with armor. But folks, I really believe that it's more important to grasp the significance of the truth of the gospel, of what salvation is, of how it leads to peace, of how you might be able to defend yourself, the shield of faith. I can appreciate the imagery created by the shield, but you still have to have faith. What is faith? You know, for a lot of people, faith is what we call upon when we don't know something, when we don't know how to explain something, when we don't understand something. We just say, well, it's just faith. And I personally feel that that's unacceptable. I do. I mean, to a certain extent, in some aspects, I can see how it can be acceptable. But for the most part, I'm going to say it's unacceptable. I do believe that the Lord will reveal things to us and that we can understand to the extent that he is willing to reveal to us these things and that our faith is a response to that truth. That is what faith is. There are many things that I do not know and I do not understand. I do not have faith in what I do not know. I do not respond in accordance with those things that I do not know. I respond in accordance with those things that I do know. And that is why I do not want to place the stamp of faith on those things that I don't know and I don't understand. Those are things that I have hope I will one day understand. I have hope that one day the Lord will reveal these things to me and give me the insight that I really want to have. But I do not have faith that he will do it because he might not do that. Why should I trust in something that he has not necessarily told me that he will do? Now, if he tells me that he's going to answer my questions that I have at a future point, then I can have faith in that. But I'm not having faith in the unknown. I'm having faith in the known. If you try to defend yourself with that which you do not know, chances are things are not going to go well for you. When it comes to the sword of the Spirit, it is the Word of God. I can appreciate the description, and I use it myself, the description of the Word of God as a sword. But don't let that be a replacement for the Word of God. People can easily look at the armor of God as if it's some kind of abstract imaginary exercise where they put the armor of God on instead of embracing the Word of God, instead of embracing faith, instead of embracing righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, Righteousness is obtained through faith. Righteousness is given to you by God. You are righteous because you believe, not because you found some way to achieve holiness. 
You are righteous because of the truth that has been revealed to you and because you have believed, you have responded to that truth. So do not let the armor of God or the description of the armor of God be a replacement for the truth that you must know and live in, for the righteousness that you must embrace, for the peace that is given to you through the gospel, for the faith which is your response to the truth that has been revealed to you, and for the salvation that you have to have a clear understanding of. I've done many programs on the subject of the gospel that you can review in order to consider what is the gospel and what is salvation. And the word of God, that is the offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit. Without that, you're going to constantly be on defense, and you will eventually be scored on. You must live, you must walk, you must function, you must believe according to the word of God, so that you may walk in your daily life with the one who gave you his word, with the one who will be able to show you more and more and help you to apply That which he has already said, he will show you more that can only be understood when you know what he has already had to say. And in this way, you will engage the war that you are already in with him. And you will have a living experience as you live your life of engaging and of achieving and experience victory with your God as together you engage the world and draw others to him that they may also be saved And know their God. When you live under the law, the armor can be taken away from you quickly. Consider what I explained earlier from the passages in Galatians. If you are under the law, you're not living according to the truth. You cannot have righteousness by the law. You will never be at peace with your God when you're under the law because you will never be holy enough. And you will not be able to live by faith and defend yourself by faith because you have no faith. Your faith is based on what you will do or what you have done instead of what he has done and what he will do. And your understanding of salvation is very weak. And your lack of understanding of the verses that I just read shows that your ability to use the word of God is quite limited. I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net 